Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. I have the scripture reading for today. Um, it comes from Colossians 1, 15 through 22. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything, and in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God, in all his, faith, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for today, and thank you for these people in this room. And um, I uh, pray that you will continue to wake us up to your spirit. There's um, a few things that do that for me, like laughing, and so I'm grateful for Chad's mistake and our laughter. <laughs> uh, so will you continue in that? Will you... Um, do what the scriptures say of inhabiting the praise of your people. Will you inhabit our laughter? Will you inhabit our moments over the next few? Um, I will hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, I have something to show you. Um, Colin, will you put that picture up? Uh, yeah. This is Noah Madison Tally. We have a whole wave of babies coming here at the vineyard. And she won because she started first. So. Um, this is Noah, uh, Michael and Rachel Talley's daughter. She is a little over a week old, and she's perfect, right? So, you know, send them a message on Facebook or Instagram and then leave them alone. But, <laughs> but you, we will meet her. We will meet her soon enough. Uh, or, you know, you can take them food. They would love that. But, um, yeah, I just wanted you to meet Noah. She's awesome. Uh, her hair, you can't see, but she has so much hair. It's very curly and dark. It's cute. Okay. There you go. That's Noah. Um, uh, happy Easter. So here at the Vineyard, we, uh, like I said last week, we follow uh, the church calendar. And in the church calendar, Easter lasts 50 days. And so that is important to me because Lent lasts 40 days. And it makes sense to me that our great celebration would be 10 days longer than Lent. That's very important. So we're going to say happy Easter for a few more weeks here, for a lot of weeks here, um, because it's Easter. So Happy Easter. Um, uh, has anybody here seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? 
Anyone? Okay. Um, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio. It was uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Um, I think it was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, if I'm right. And it won a bunch of Golden Globes and Critics' Choice and stuff like that. Um, I was flying to Texas uh, a couple of years ago, and I watched it on airplane. Which, wait, before I move on, please do not hear this as a pulpit recommendation to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just telling a story about it. It is rated R for all the reasons that movies are rated R. Like, it has all of them. So there's your warning. Also, I watched it on a plane, and it had all of them, so I probably missed some stuff. There's probably more stuff. So not a recommendation, but I did. I watched it on a plane. I was flying to Texas. I watched it on an airplane. And... Um, um, when the flight landed, you know, like when it lands and then the TV just shuts off, which is the worst. I had like 15 or 20 minutes left of the movie. Um, and, and, and then it just shut off. And so as I'm getting off the plane, I thought like, hmm, that, that was okay. Like, it was fine. I mean, I didn't really get the movie, but it was fine. You know, but I'd, I wouldn't have said that. I would have told you like, yeah, it was pretty good because I wouldn't want movie to people to think I was dumb because I'd read... All these articles, it was like, Quentin Tarantino at his most genius. And then it was like, I mean, it's fine, right? It was, it was okay. Um, and uh, so uh, I didn't really get it, but whatever. But um, so then on my way home from Texas, I'm scrolling through the things, trying to pick a movie, and I can't really find anything. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just finish Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just had like 15 minutes left, so I'll just finish it. And so I decided to finish the last 20 minutes, and um, holy smokes, if you've seen it, <laughs> Again, not a recommendation, but holy smokes, every, almost every single thing that happens in the movie happens in the last 20 minutes of the movie. Like, it is unbelievably crucial. The, the whole story, like, finds its ending. Um, it changes the beginning of the movie. It changes the middle of the oh, There are all these weird characters that you're like, I don't even understand why they were in the movie. Then you understand why they were in the movie. I mean, it's like... Every single thing uh, happens. So, like, on the way to Texas, I had part of the story. And then on the way home from Texas, I had, uh, or the story found its fullness. And my experience of the movie and my expressions, my thought about how good the movie was, um, completely ended based on seeing the end of the movie. And so, uh, here at the vineyard, during Eastertide, which is what the church uh, calls the Easter season, these 50 days, um, during Eastertide, we're going to talk about, uh, you've seen the graphic, we're going to talk about who we are. Um, and so, for the next couple of weeks, that's going to be kind of a, a general thing. We're going to look at, a, like, a big general overview of uh, what the Bible has to say about who we are as people of Jesus. Um, but then we're going to take that and we're going to zoom in a little bit and look at um, who we are as distinct to this church. What is Vineyard Springbrook? Who are we um, as this? So, um, but, so this week, if you have been around the vineyard for a while, this will not be new information to you. I have a commitment to talk every Eastertide about this exact thing because I think it is something kind of undertaught in the church. Um, and it's something really important and uh, really valuable. And to me, it feels like one of those things that um, if it's like, if I teach you anything in all of the world from standing up here, I hope it's this. So, um, and, and what it is, is, is we're going to look over the next two weeks, um, and, and I hope uh, have a similar experience to what uh, happened to my brain when I saw uh, the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I want to look at the Bible uh, in a more full picture. Again, not recommending the movie, nor am I comparing it to the Bible, but... Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> I said this clearly. Um, uh, but but just the experience of it, the experience of experiencing something in its fullness, I, I hope will be our experience over uh, the next two weeks. Uh, because a few years ago, I, I read about this. This was something I've learned super recently. And for me, it allowed me to wake up in a new way to the richness and the fullness of the Bible and of the scriptures. And, um, and so my hope is that we'll do this. Something that we try to do all the time here at uh, Springbrook is that we want to take a few steps back and see a wider picture. You see me like do this all the time because that's what we want to do. And so that's what we'll do uh, today. Uh, a wider view of the Old Testament and the New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. So we're going to cover the whole Bible today. So I hope you're very, very comfortable because it'll take a long time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, theologians and scholars call this uh, view a meta-narrative view of the Bible. A meta-narrative is just sort of a big uh, word for a wide story, like the wide view of uh, the scriptures, the narrative arc of the scriptures from uh, beginning to end. And story, I think, matters because we are people of story. Story shapes our lives. I was talking to a friend who moved to town recently as a pastor in another church, and, um, and he was like, uh, do I need to tell like a personal story when I do sermons? And I was like, oh my gosh, in East Tennessee, we're like folklore people, you know, like we are the people of the story. Um, but I think that's just true, uh, for humans. So that's why I think it's so incredibly important that, um, that we see the wide story because I think the stories that we live and the stories that we believe are incredibly important. They, they shape us and they, they form us, um. And uh, they allow us to do the thing that we feel like we were made to do. So uh, there's uh, an Austrian priest and theologian and philosopher named Ivan Illich. And uh, uh, someone came to Ivan Illich one time and said, he was also like a social critic, like he uh, kind of like a sociologist. And, and they said, uh, what is the best way to change society? Like, in your opinion, what's the best way to change society? And this was his answer. He said, uh, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change society. Rather you must tell a new and powerful tale, one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story, one so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and present into a coherent whole, one that shines some light into our future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change society, you have to tell an alternative story. And so as people uh, who believe that we have a role to play in the renewal of all things, the story that we tell, the story that we have to tell, it uh, matters very much to us, but I also think it matters very much to society. How the Bible begins and ends and middles, it offers us not just a story to believe, um, but an interpretation of the meaning of all of history and all of the present and all of the future. Uh, N.T. Wright, uh, he calls the divine drama of the scriptures, he calls it public truth because he says, this is the story of the whole world. It's a Christian's view of the whole world. And so in a really super scaled out, wide, meta-narrative view of the scriptures, the scriptures take place in four major parts or four major uh, chapters. I think we might have a slide for this, Colin. Um, uh, they're these four things, uh, creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Creation. Uh, this is our story for the world about how things uh, were, how things came to be. God, he made everything and he called it good. And then he asked us to join in creation, to tend and to make and to cultivate the things of, uh, of flourishing in the world. 
We have uh, the fall. This is our explanation for why things are the way uh, they are. That sin enters the world through Adam and Eve, shattering the shalom or the perfect peace and connection of creation. And then that is followed by redemption, our story about the way things could be. Uh, God, he makes a way where there was no way, offering salvation to all through the life, death, and uh, resurrection of Jesus. And then renewal, our explanation for how things will ultimately be. Uh, The active and imminent work of the kingdom of God in the renewal of all things uh, created. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. Theologians call this the four-part gospel. And in Colossians 1, uh, our our text for today, and I would argue our text of the last two years, and we'll just keep going. Um, In Colossians 1, it says uh, that that Jesus, uh, Paul tells us that Jesus uh, put, uh, is the heart and the soul of all of this. The creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. That Jesus is the heart and soul of all of it. And so um, I really want to spend our next few minutes digging into each of these parts, zooming in a little bit on each of them, um, uh, each of these parts of the story, each part of this public truth. And then uh, we'll talk about uh, why the story, the story we've heard and why it matters. So, um, so creation, the first uh, book of the Bible is Genesis. Genesis tells us that in the beginning, uh, before anything was made, God existed. Before anything came to be, that God existed. Uh, and that the spirit hovered over the darkness, hovered over the emptiness uh, of all things before they were created. And that um, the things of this world, Genesis tells us, were created uh, by a creator God. Uh, again, in our text, Colossians 1, uh, tells us that Jesus was not only part of this creation, uh, but supreme over it. Meaning that he uh, is the source of purpose for all things that have been created Ever. Uh, Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And then later in verse 16, everything was created through him and for him. Uh, The creation story tells us that God made all things, uh, but then he made humans. And humans were distinct because God made humans in his own image. That male and female both were created in the image of God. And that then after uh, creating uh, the first man and the first woman, God creates them, but then he offers them a blessing and a commissioning. A blessing and a commissioning. And it would be theirs, but it would be the blessing and commissioning for all of humans for all of time. It's this, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. In this commission, uh, God, he puts everything that has, uh, is alive under the care of humans. Every plant, every tree, uh, wild animals, birds, everything alive under our care. And in this God's story of how things came to be, it's, it's made clear that, that humans were created with the capacity to do what God did, to cultivate and to create. That being humans, me, human means being Being human means being commissioned and empowered to bring order to the world uh, for the flourishing of the world. Theologians uh, call this commissioning the, the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. It was the commissioning of God to man. Cultivate, tend, develop, create alongside the creation. This is so important. The narrative, the, the story arc of the whole scriptures begins with the presence of the Spirit and the intricate and intentional and powerful creation of God and then the injection of purpose through Jesus for the flourishing of humanity and for the flourishing of the world. That's how the story starts. 
And then the next chapter uh, in the big picture, in the narrative arc, is the fall, the explanation in God's story for how and why things are the way that they are. And this story honestly happens very early in the story. Uh, In the beginning of God's created world is something that the Bible calls shalom. That's the Bible word. Um, uh, We often translate it peace. um, But there's a a theologian named Cornelius Plantiga, and he has my favorite way of describing shalom or defining shalom. He says shalom is universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. This is the way things are meant to be. The world was created with universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Created uh, uh, to be connected to one another, to the world, to God. But uh, early in the story, a snake offers Eve some fruit. Fruit that he promises will bring her power and more uh, of her current experience. And Adam and Eve, they aren't just tempted, they fall. And as a result, the shalom of God's world is shattered in a single action. And what happens in this action is that everything gets off track. Everything. The world is off track. The animals, the humans, everything. What happens in the fall is that the ability to relate rightly to God and relate rightly to each other and relate rightly to the earth uh, is damaged. And everything under the sun fills the effects of that damage. For the first time, disorder comes into the world. And destruction uh, comes into the world at every single level, personally, uh, communally with each other, and cosmically, all over the world. All over the world. Death, it becomes a thing. And sadness, for the first time, becomes a thing. And destruction and fear and pain and anxiety and suffering and war and striving. And I could go on and on and on. These things all become things. All disorder, uh, all things that steal freedom and flourishing and shalom, they all become a thing. The whole world feels the impact. Uh, On a cosmic level, the, the, the fall, it darkens the goodness of the world. And then it ripples out from there, damaging our ability to relate rightly anywhere. In ourselves, with each other, and with the God who created all of it. Separating us from the God who Colossians 1 says made him, made us for himself. Which thankfully leads to the third part of the story. Chapter three of a four-part gospel is, is the greatest news in the whole world. It's the story of redemption. The story of the God who, who could not leave us in the dark, who could not leave us in the destruction, but who at just the right time comes after us. Uh, the beauty and the mystery of the redemption of the cross is that Jesus in this moment puts into motion making all things right that have lost their way. Uh, Jesus uh, is the perfect example of the goodness of the creator God and the godness of the creator God on earth. And he settles the score left by the separation of the fall at every single level uh, that the fall was felt. This is big. Uh, Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, redemption becomes possible at every single level. It becomes possible for every single person. But not just personally, but hallelujah for that. It also becomes possible, redemption becomes possible communally with each other. uh, And redemption becomes possible cosmically with the world. At every single level that the fall is felt, redemption becomes possible. Uh, In our text today, verse 19 and 20, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. It's redemption. But the story isn't over. Uh, there's still 20 minutes at the end. <laughs> Longer than that. 
The story is never, it doesn't end in redemption. The final chapter of the narrative arc of the scripture is renewal. It's the hope of restoration. The God who didn't just send his son to settle the score, but sent his son to settle the score, and then began the motion of putting all things back together. To renew and restore the shalom of the world. To initiate uh, the kingdom of flourishing and purpose and shalom again. The Bible is full from start to finish of language of renewal. Of uh, heaven coming into earth and overtaking it. Uh, Where creation and created things are rescued and restored and empowered for flourishing. Uh, The Bible uses words like wastelands wastelands being filled with streams and starting to rejoice. Or ashes becoming beauty or sorrow uh, and sadness doing as Samwise Gamgee says in uh, The Lord of the Rings, becoming untrue. And the Bible is full of this language. A uh, perfect creation fell into destruction and since that moment the God who made us has been working to redeem to reconcile to restore and to renew what he made it is the work of the kingdom here on the earth so creation fall redemption renewal and for 1800 years this is the story that the church told It's the story that the church taught its people. But about 200 years ago, that uh, four-chapter story started to narrow a little bit. And the roots of this are definitely worth researching. I won't geek out on you uh, too hard today. But during the Second Great Awakening uh, in the late 18th and early 19th centuries in in England, the revivalists, the revivalist preachers, so... um, Beecher and Finney, and if you're, you know, a preacher geek, I'm sure all of you are. Um, these these revivalist preachers, they uh, they started to sort of narrow the focus of their teaching and zeroing in on the ideas of personal sin and individual salvation. And then the second great awakening led to the third great awakening, and then um, from the third great awakening at the early the turn of the century, the early 20th century, uh, fundamentalism is on the rise all throughout America and then into England. And then out of both a, a base in fundamentalism and as a reaction to it, evangelicalism was birthed. Even, that's, we're an evangelical church. Uh, and while evangelicalism uh, sought to shift some of the things of fundamentalism, then this narrowed view of the scripture has stayed with us. It's remained. This shift in teaching over the last two centuries uh, of telling a, a more narrow, more limited version of the story, uh, it, that's been the result. We've told a shortened version of a four-part story. A four-chapter gospel has become more like a two-chapter gospel. A story about creation, fall, redemption, and renewal has zoomed into a story predominantly about the fall and redemption, personal sin, and individual salvation. And it isn't that the revivalists or the fundamentalists or even us evangelicals have denied that the other parts of the story uh, have taken place. It's just that we allowed them to kind of fade into the background. And it isn't that the two-chapter story isn't true. Those are two true stories, two good stories. They just aren't the whole story. Uh, In the wider evangelical church, again, it's not that we haven't told a true story or a good story. It's that we haven't told a story in all of its fullness. By allowing half of the story to fade out of focus, we've been left with a more narrow view of the story of God in so, uh, so many ways. It's given us a, a view of how to, deal with, how to deal with sin, absolutely, but it has very much limited our view of how to live in the world of how to show up in the world, of how to deal with things like beauty. 
It's limited our view of things like purpose and dignity and identity. It's limited our view of what to do with resurrection. Because this smaller story, it's offered us kind of like an escapist mentality that doesn't really exist in the scriptures. Uh, One of my favorite things N.T. Wright says is he says, heaven is so important, but it is not the end of the story. But we've been taught that it was. We've been taught that it is, and I think over the last few years, we're seeing some of the impact uh, of a narrowed view of story and the way it works out in our culture. Uh, From cancel culture to the church and politics to uh, racial unrest. I I mean, honestly, I could go on and on and on. This, This narrowed story is working itself out in our culture. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that, that the story we've told has been all bad. And I'm, 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 what I'm saying is that not telling it in its fullness has led the church to some really gnarly places. You can amen in your head. <laughs> to some really gnarly places. The middle two chapters, they are powerful and essential. But so are the beginning and the end. And allowing these two chapters to fall into the background has, has resulted in the church offering the world a story of how to get converted, a story of conversion. But what God asks us to do is offer a story of transformation. And when it comes to transformation and shalom, all four chapters are really crucial. For example, I've, I've used this example before. I think it's true. In, in the great narrative arc of the scriptures, I think uh, uh, when we only tell a two-story or a two-chapter story, uh, then our, our, our story begins with sin. But in a four-chapter story, the story doesn't start with sin. I, I don't know what you grew up hearing, but, but please hear me today. The beginning of the story is not that you are a busted and broken up person. I know, I think all of you, and you are busted and broken up. Welcome to church. (laughs) You are. But that is not the beginning of your story. It is part of your story, but it it isn't the beginning of the story. I think that the beginning is crucial. The Bible tells us that our story doesn't start broken and it doesn't start busted. Our story starts with us being made in the image of God as the crown jewel of creation. Very good. That's what he calls us. Very good. And that we weren't just created very good. We were created in shalom. Shalom. In perfect peace and harmony and community and and flourishing with God and with each other and with the world. Our beginning is one of dignity. Our beginning is one of creativity and empowering us as image bearers of the creator himself. We'll talk about this more uh, next week. but, But allowing the story of creation to fade in the background has greatly impacted things like dignity. Things like how we work and how we show up in the world to live and create. How we show up in the world and bring the kingdom of God with us. Where we begin matters a lot. And so does how we end. It matters a lot that our story doesn't end with us being redeemed by Jesus. Redemption is good, 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 good news. But it isn't the end of the story. Uh, Tim Keller, he talks about this, uh, the rescue of Jesus. And he says, it's not just a wonderful plan for my life, but a wonderful plan for the world. It is about the coming of God's kingdom to renew all things. The end of the story is renewal, redemption uh, that leads not to an escape of the world, but to the renewal of it. And God's people joining him in the work of putting things back together. As we said at the beginning of the year, God's people joining him and filling the earth with more of the good stuff of heaven. The end, much like the beginning, is a story of community and flourishing and shalom. A story that uh, begins on the earth 
and please hear me, also ends on the earth. Earth renewed and set back to right, filled with flourishing and shalom at every level, personal, communal, cosmic. And so as Jesus' followers, we don't exist to escape the world, but to join God in the renewal of it. I'm going to stop here, and we're going to pick up next week on part two. I'm doing the movie to you now, (laughs) so don't miss. Uh, But I do, I really do want to stop here because I think it's important to let this settle today. I think in order to talk about how this applies to our life, we, we have to talk about do we even believe this? Do we, do we believe the story? Or, or maybe it's even having um, space to think through the uh, impact, to look back over your life and say, like, what story have I been taught? Or what story do I believe? And um, so I'm gonna, we're going to create space for that. Uh, the band's going to come up, and, and we'll, we do this every week at the Vineyard. We just call it Selah, and it is just a quiet pause uh, to not move on too quickly, to just create space. I don't know when in your life you get a moment of quiet, but you're welcome. We're going to give you one.